Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. This is Perrin Desports, and I'm your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or other healthcare provider and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you've found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, DeWalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Well, welcome to episode number nine of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. And while this is only episode number nine, you can think of this as probably the first in a series that deals with a major topic that we get conversations, questions, queries, and everything else about almost every hour of every day, and that's equity. We're gonna talk about associate equity. We're gonna talk about executive equity. We're gonna talk about things like cap table mergers and partnerships and how we use equity to do that. And we're also gonna talk about how to use equity to actually grow and expand your business and the footprint of it. We're gonna unpack all of that over the next six to eight episodes, and you can count on taking a lot of notes over that period of time. This is sure to be another note-taking episode, so get your pad and pen ready and brew another awful cup of that Keurig coffee. We're getting ready to roll. So once again, thanks to everyone for joining me on the podcast today. As I teed up in the intro, it is all about equity today. I'm going to talk specifically about associate equity because there are a lot of different things you want to consider uh, as it relates to associate equity and how you structure that. And then we're going to unpack profits, interest units, and restricted stock units with my partner, DeWalker Sinha, on a subsequent podcast. Today is going to be a little bit more mechanically oriented. And I say that at the outset because by now you've probably all read a press release that we sent out that talks about our approach to probably, arguably, the largest problem in the industry. And that is attracting, motivating, and ultimately retaining quality associates. If you're going to build a group, this is arguably your number one challenge and your number one problem. If you get it right, you increase retention, you have less associate turnover, greater continuity, ultimately greater profitability, and certainly more consistency. If you get it wrong, it's a revolving turnstile, uh, a different name and a different face. Every time a patient comes in, it really makes continuity a, an enormous challenge, and that translates into underperformance and lower overall profitability for the business. This is the biggest challenge facing our industry. And in short, we really feel like we have a different approach in terms of an, a way to solve this challenge. And that's what we indicated in the press release. I want to take this from the top. And when I say from the top, I want to almost position it at the outset from the associate's perspective, from the candidate's perspective, from the perspective of a recent grad coming out um, of dental school um, or uh, any, any early stage associateship, or maybe a, a GPR program for that matter too. And if you think about it, most of these young professionals are carrying a significant 
amount of school loan debt. The ADA has done a lot of studies on this. I've read studies from other agencies, but the number that I hear mostly is somewhere between about $250,000 and $300,000 in student loan debt. And that's if mom and dad paid for undergrad. That's an alarming number. And while banks are usually still um, fairly comfortable with loaning associates uh, the uh, money to buy into a practice or, or start or acquire their first practice, the mindset of a lot of these recent graduates is that they don't necessarily want to do it. They don't want to take on more debt, put another six to seven figures on top of what's already a, a large number, especially when they may also be starting a family, buying a home, finally buying their first car, um, getting married, having kids. You know the the rhyme and reason when you're in your 20s and early 30s in terms of trying to put down some roots and some stability. Adding another $500,000 million in debt to either buy, build, or acquire part of a practice can be a challenge. Sometimes it's a mindset challenge, and sometimes it's a cash flow challenge. And, and I don't blame them one bit, honestly. Um, it is something that you don't have to say that they're risk-averse if they don't want to take on more debt and pile on, pile it on top of what they already have. So given that, how do we bridge the gap? And when I say bridge the gap, I'm talking about the mindset between a reluctance on behalf of the associate to take on more debt, but still figure out a way for them to become a partner, figure out a way for them to have a stake in their future, figure out a way for them to have a seat at the table when decisions are being made. And that's all about equity. That's all about ownership. It's also part and parcel of being an entrepreneur and the things that probably drive you and drive me from an ownership mindset. They're no different. They're just younger and earlier at a stage of their career. But it's something we need to try to solve for from their perspective. So if we can create a solution for those associates that addresses those concerns or shortcomings uh, from their perspective, then from the owner or founder's perspective, how do we think through those opportunities uh, to, to solve that large issue, uh, the number one issue, as I, I said earlier, that is attracting, motivating, and retaining associates? So when you think through your business and the business you're trying to build, you are arguably competing with a number of other groups or uh, solo practices um, in the marketplace to attract those associates. Why, do, why does the associate want to come work for you? And it's got to be something more than just a clinical compensation rate that answers that question. The opportunity to become a partner, the opportunity to earn equity in the business, to have a seat at the table, um, and to have... Uh, a mindset that that would be some semblance of control over the outcome uh, of the growth of that business uh, is is a really worthy differentiator. If you're able to communicate that clearly to a, a prospective candidate before they join a business, that they should consider yours because they have the opportunity to become a partner without actually having to buy into the business themselves without having actually having to take on more debt to buy into the business. 
Now, that's a little bit of a crazy proposition uh, at first glance, but it's it's one that is a, a differentiator on the recruiting trail. Obviously, if you were able to attract that young associate to join your business, you want to make sure that that they show up with a mindset for growth and to take care of the patients. You want them to be internally motivated to do a great job at their at their God-given craft, but also from, from a business owner mindset, not just an employee mindset. You're not looking for somebody that shows up at 801 and leaves at 459. You want them to, to arrive early. You want them to stay late. You want, to, you want them to mind the bottom line. You want them to take care of the staff, and you certainly want them to take care of patients. And being an owner in a business arguably provides a higher level mindset and a greater degree of commitment overall uh, once they become an owner to take care of the ship that they're helping steer. And then the third piece is, is also what I mentioned earlier. You want them to stay for the long haul. You don't want them to treat your business and your opportunity as just another stop on the way to a greater career. You want them to join your team willingly because they want to become a partner. You want them to be motivated to do the right thing, and you want them to stay there for the long haul to limit your turnover. And if you can achieve those three components from an associate perspective, you're going to build a really, really great business. So how do we, I said earlier that this would be an opportunity for an associate to earn equity without actually having to buy equity. So what the heck does that mean? And, and frankly, what kind of cost does it entail for you as the founder or, or founders or, or principal partners behind a group practice? Well, we're going to dig into the mechanics of something called restricted stock units and profits interest units on subsequent podcasts, because we're going to go really deep on that with my partner, DeWalker. But what I'll tell you is that restricted stock and profits interest are two very common earned equity opportunities in corporate America. Specifically, DeWalker and I were the beneficiaries of restricted stock units when I worked for Patterson Dental Supply for 15 years, and he worked for East West Bank and a handful of other larger publicly traded uh, banking institutions. They are very commonplace where the management level employees or high performers have the opportunity to earn stock in the business without actually having to buy it. So it's different from something known as a stock option. It's truly an earned equity award. And as I said, we'll talk about the mechanics of that a little bit later. But what happens when somebody earns equity? Well, they earn shares in the business and there are shares released from the treasury, which means that those that founded the business or own all of the business right now take something called dilution. You go from being 100% owner of the business you founded to something less than that. Usually somewhere when all is said and done, still holding about 70 to 80% of the business, but allowing the associates and high performing executives to earn somewhere between say 10 and and ultimately 25 to 30% of the business over about a 10 to 15 year horizon. Well, why would you want to do that? as the founder and the owner of the business. And the question that I always ask people 
when I'm having this conversation with them is, would you rather be 100% owner of a business valued at $2 million or would you rather be an 80% owner of a business valued at $10 million? And if you stop and you think a little bit about that, 100% owner of a business valued at $2 million or 80% owner of a business valued at $10 million, you'll start to understand that it's not the percentage ownership that you retain, it's the value of the shares that you hold. And we would all rather be an 80% owner with a, a total valuation of $8 million than an outright 100% owner of a $2 million business. So how we get there is through a process called dilution. And how the associates get there is earning equity in the business through superior performance. Make no mistake, you are not giving away equity. Anytime somebody says, I'm willing to give away some equity, I try to stop them cold in their tracks. Equity is either bought or it's earned. It's never given away. And if it's earned, it's not earned for average performance. It's earned for superior performance. We are not trying to reward middle, middle performers in any business for doing average work. Quite the contrary. We want to understand what the average is and we want to set the opportunity to earn equity above the average. So you're chinning to a higher bar, you're moving the goalpost, you're increasing performance from that group in the middle. And that is essentially what increases the value of your holdings going forward. So again, this is earned equity on behalf of the associate or executive, and it's earned through superior performance, not average performance. Once again, from the associate context, we're trying to solve for them what would be a worthy equity goal for them to have over a long-term period, usually about 10 years. And the goal that we typically set for associates is somewhere around a million dollars, plus or minus some amount, depending on the nature of the business we're working with and the overall productivity of the associates and the opportunity at hand. There are a lot of different variables in these models that we build. They're super complicated. It's a lot of math and we pressure test it a lot of different ways before we present it to our client. And our client is the founder of the business or, or uh, partners in the business, not the associates here. But what we're trying to achieve is an outcome that the associate would say, look, you know, if I, if I show up, if I work hard, if I produce results for the business, I could end up with as much as a million dollars in equity in the business over a 10 year period and never actually have to take on a loan to get there, which is not what I would have to do if I decided to go out and either buy or build my own practice and take all the risks associated with that. So if we can create the same economic outcome for the associate over the same time frame, usually a 10-year loan, isn't it better for them, isn't it in their best interest if they come to work for an established group like one that you may already have uh, under your belt versus, versus going it alone and taking all the risks involved with it. I would argue that it's a much better uh, business proposition to be part of a group, a successful group 
if it creates the same economic outcome for them with arguably much, much less risk. And for you, the founder or founders in this case, the ability to grow the business, the value of the business at a much faster rate than you could do on your own if you retained 100% of it creates the economic outcome as the, the founder of the business for taking the risk to do it, but it's the economic outcome that you couldn't create on your own. This really is one of the few things in life is truly a win-win-win scenario. It's a win for you as the founder. It increases the value of your holdings in the business. It's a win for the associate. They get to be a partner in a business, then they don't have to take on any debt to do it. And it's a win for the business overall because it all but ensures the growth and future viability of the business because we're all committed to the same outcome. It's it's a, a great solution for the largest problem that we face uh, in our, our world of group practices and dentistry. So there are other things to consider beyond this. Uh, well, frankly, there's a lot more to consider beyond this, and I can't go um, through all of this in its entirety in a podcast format probably be pretty confusing um, as you're listening to it if it's not already. But what I'll say is at a high level, there are a lot of things to consider from your perspective as the founder or founders of the business. One of those is the level of equity that you're going to allow them to earn into. And when I say level, I'm talking about you can have equity at a practice level, meaning the practice that they work in. You could have equity in something called a sub-DSO or a pod, meaning a group of three or four locations. And there are a handful of enterprise-level DSOs that have made this type of a structure really, really popular. Or they could earn equity at a corporate level, meaning a master DSO or hold co-level. And there's pluses and minuses to all of those different levels. And this is something that we want to walk and talk through uh, with our clients to make them uh, understanding of of the pluses and minuses to each and make sure that they arrive at the solution that best meets their needs since they took the risk to, to, to launch the business. There are also what's known as rights and privileges uh, when you earn equity in a business. And rights and privileges are, are really the following. Uh, one uh, is ownership in the business. You may have heard of a, a, a term or a phrase um, uh, called phantom equity or synthetic equity, possibly. Those are really more what uh, were akin to bonus programs or some type of profit sharing program, and they're not real equity in the business. When we talk about restricted stock unit and profits interest unit uh, opportunities, this is real equity in the business. If somebody earns equity, um, in your your business, and there it's, it amounts to one percent. They are a one percent owner in the business. If you sell the business, they get one percent of the proceeds. Um, in addition to that ownership, the two other rights and privileges that are talked about most often are voting rights and distribution rights. There are ways to um, structure around voting and distribution with different classes of shares. I don't want to get too convoluted here. But suffice to say, if you allow for full rights and privileges, um, a 1% owner in your business has a 1% vote, and they are entitled to 1% of any distributions that you declare on a quarterly or an annual basis, um, any leftover cash after debt uh, and after reinvestment in the business um, and everything like that. So ownership, voting uh, rights, and distribution rights 
are the three things uh, to keep in mind when it comes to rights and privileges, and, and you can exercise that accordingly. Um, there is also something called a vesting schedule. Uh, a vesting schedule means that just because somebody earns equity in the business this year doesn't mean that it's 100% theirs. We usually set somewhere between a three to a five-year vesting schedule on the equity that's earned by associates. And what that means is that over, for example, five years, they may earn um, $50,000 worth of equity in the business this year, but it vests equally over a five-year term, meaning $10,000 becomes theirs the year after they've earned it, uh, the next $10,000 in the second year, the third 10,000 in the third, et cetera, et cetera. So just because they've earned it doesn't mean that it all becomes theirs immediately upon earning it. If you've ever heard one of your friends who works in corporate America say something to the effect of, I really want to leave the company I work for. I'm sick of working here. But if I walk away, I'm walking away from $200,000 in company stock. They have the golden handcuffs on me. What they're saying is golden handcuffs mean that they have earned equity in a business, but they have to stay until it fully vests for it to become theirs. If they leave prematurely, meaning before it vests, they forfeit all of it. So here's the retention piece that we were talking about a couple of minutes ago in the podcast. I said, it's not just about attracting them. It's not just about motivating your associates, it's about retaining them for the long haul. The last thing you want is for some crackerjack associate to come work for your business, put up a huge number, earn a ton in company stock, spike the football and say, hey doc, enjoyed it, it was a great ride, I'm out of here. That doesn't do anything for continuity. So the vesting schedule is, is another retention mechanism that for them to realize the full potential of the equity that they've earned, they have to stay for whatever that vesting schedule is in order to get it. And these programs roll over annually, meaning they may be involved in, in several different award opportunities over a three to four to five to 10 year period. And if they all have five-year vesting schedules, then you could end up with a sizable, sizable amount of equity that's unvested every year. And again, that's very good for retention. So the other pieces that I'll, I'll talk about is a, a, a just kind of at a high level um, are, are a bit more in terms of legal documentation. And I don't want to go too deep into this, but drafting legal agreements is part and parcel of every associate equity model that we build. and as part of, uh, central to that um, is what you all recognize as restrictive covenants, non-compete and non-solicit most, uh, most specifically. So the challenge that so many of you face is that you bring on a, an associate and he or she works for you for a couple of years. They um, build up their clinical uh, confidence. They build up their skill set. They build up their hand speed. They also learn the ways to run a better business because they learn that from you. They kind of learn the secret sauce, right? And then even though you've got an employment contract with them, when they up and leave, you and I both know that it's a challenge to get any non-competes enforced in the marketplace these days. 
judges are typically very reluctant to tell an associate dentist in this case that he or her that he or she cannot practice what they've been trained to do outside of a restrictive area if if it's challenged in court so that non-compete and then on the the um, stealing company employees the non-solicit uh, side or patients for that matter too um, is equally challenging to enforce one of the nice things about the associate equity model that we build is that if an associate voluntarily or involuntarily leaves your business, there is a buyback mechanism to redeem the amount of shares, the dollar value of the shares that they've earned. And if it's somebody who's been with you for a while, this could be multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars. They could have been a high performer for you. They could have earned a lot of equity. And if they move from Northern California to Key West, well, they're probably not violating their non-compete. But if they move directly across the street from you, then they are violating their non-compete. And in that situation, there is um, a provision written in the legal agreement that says, if they violate the restrictive covenants, you are no longer obligated to buy out their remaining shares. So if they earn five or $600,000 worth of equity and you're going to pay them back over a two to three to five year period on a, on a pre-arranged buyback schedule and they decide to violate their non-compete, they got to think twice about doing that because they're probably forfeiting a lot of a payment stream that's still coming to them over a longer period of time. This gives the, the non-compete provision, the non-solicit provisions of the employment contracts a bit more teeth, and it makes an associate think twice before they violate that. And that's usually a, a, a nice um, a safety mechanism, if you will, to, to allow you to further protect uh, the business that you've built. Um, so I know I've gone through a lot here in a hurry and I've done it at a high level, but I've intentionally tried to keep it conceptual to the best of my ability while only giving you enough in terms of mechanics to kind of understand how all of this um, uh, might work within your business. Suffice to say, equity is a, a huge driver um, of performance, of mindset, of commitment. You know that because you took the risk to, to start the business. You're one of the founders or the outright founder of the business, uh, and you've sweated a lot of sleepless nights. Uh, you, you have the privilege, as we like to say, of getting paid last. And those are challenges um, that, frankly, DeWalker and I face as well at, at operating Polaris. The key to think about growing a business, though, is how you bring other people into the ownership structure of the business while you still retain control but you, are, uh, you have the opportunity to recruit a higher level of candidate. They operate with a different mindset as an owner, and you retain them for the long haul. And if you can do that, you're going to build a lot of continuity in your business. And it goes without saying that you have a greater probability of building a lot of success in your business. And an earn equity model uh, is a great first step in doing that. I hope you've gotten a lot out of this. Please stick around. I'll be back on the podcast to wrap it up with some concluding thoughts and comments.
Well, I hope you found that discussion about associate equity to be highly informational and, and to a degree educational. I probably went a bit long in that segment, uh, but it's a topic that I'm really passionate about in case you couldn't tell. And, and I really think that uh, we have a great solution for group practices and a different way of thinking about things. And sometimes that comes, uh, that comes through in the way I talk about it um, pretty voluminously. So uh, humor me a bit if I go deep into some subject matter areas that, uh, that I really feel passionately about. Um, but like I say, I, I hope you got um, something out of it. And I hope you also might uh, be looking at associate equity opportunities from a slightly different lens now. And I, I think that's important versus just your traditional methodologies in terms of buy-in, buy-out um, for, for group practices. If you do have questions about it, feel free to submit me um, an email uh, and I'll either read it on the air or respond back to you. And as you well know, you can reach me at perrin at polarishealthcarepartners.com. I, I really do appreciate all the comments um, uh, and questions we get from, from the audience. As we're kind of wrapping up today's show, uh, you know, on the something new, noteworthy and cool kind of front, I wanted to share um, a little bit about a, uh, a, a series um, that I saw off of PBS not too long ago. And probably everybody in the audience has heard of an American author named Ernest Hemingway, arguably one of the, the greatest authors of, of the 20th century. And probably all of us read some of Hemingway's books, either in high school or in college, and, and probably some uh, outside of college or since we graduated. I know that Hemingway is an author that I uh, sort of circle around to not frequently, um, but every now and again, when I want to get out of reading business and I'm looking for something more fiction, um, he uh, is an unbelievable storyteller and, and his writing style is is maybe not unique, but it's just different than than the way a lot of people write fiction. And, and the subject matter uh, that that he tells his stories uh, of is is really something of a, a foregone era, era um, in, in which I wasn't necessarily born or knew a lot about. So I think some of the subject matter, bullfighting and um, hunts and safaris and um, obviously the First World War um, and part of the Second World War it is really just fascinating to me. I find him to be a, a tremendous writer. That being said, I knew of Ernest Hemingway, but I didn't know a lot about Ernest Hemingway. I might have thought I did before I saw the documentary, uh, the documentary series from Ken Burns on PBS. Um, but it is, uh, I think it's a three or maybe a four part series and each, each where the parts is about two hours long. So it's, it's lengthy. Um, I couldn't watch it all in one sitting or even over the course of a week, but man, it is, uh, it is something that if you're if you enjoy reading and and you're looking for um, things to read that are are beyond business books and beyond bi biographies and things like that, um, Hemingway's uh, you know books and stories, short stories that he's written um, throughout his life are are compelling. And the the Ken Burns series off of PBS is really flat out amazing. Um, I, I was fascinated by it, the life that he lived, um, how compulsive he was about love and, and even to a degree anger, uh, some of the challenges he had uh, and some that his family, his families, 
faced um, just a, an unbelievably good job of documenting all that um, and watching it unfold uh, right in front of you on the screen. So if y'all are looking for something um, that's uh, biographical in nature about somebody that that uh, lived a very storied life, <laughs> I'll put it that way, uh, you owe it to yourself to uh, to um, download or try to find on, on PBS um, uh, the Ken Burns uh, documentary series on on Ernest Hemingway. It is uh, an absolutely worthy use of your time, and I think you'll get a, a tremendous amount out of it. Hopefully, you'll enjoy it a lot. Well, today was a lot of fun uh, for me. Like I say, I'm I'm passionate about uh, equity and associate equity, and this next six to eight part series on the podcast is going to be. Um, pretty pretty deep and pretty fast paced on it. So buckle up tight and hold on. You're gonna you're gonna get a healthy dose of equity from a lot of different lenses in the coming weeks. I really do hope you're getting a lot out of the podcast overall. And if you do, please leave us a, a rating on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. We really value the ratings, and it, it helps um, on search engine optimization and things like that as as well. And as I said before, if you've got questions that you'd like to submit to me, feel free to do so. You can reach me at Karen at PolarisHealthcarePartners.com. I'll make every effort to read and answer them in an upcoming episode. And of course, you can find out more about us and who we are and what all we do on our website at PolarisHealthcarePartners.com. Thanks so much for being a listener today and a subscriber. We'll see you on the next episode.